Greetings. How are you? Feel free to share a word if you like. Could be popcorn style. How are you in this moment? How are you? Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Raising you a thumb. So, so. Words are okay too. I'm loving the hand gestures. I'm just loving the noble silence. You're <laughs> sticking to hand gestures. Wow. Wow. Happy. Settled. Curious. <coughs> Exhausted. Yeah. That too. It's all welcome. All welcome. What else? Sore. 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 Anything else? Well, lots of different things, but anything you want to bring into the space? Mudita. Mudita. Mm, a vicarious joy. Joy for the joy of others. Oh, beautiful. Lots present in the room, ranging from curiosity to thumbs up, two thumbs up, so-so, sore, exhausted, happy, settled, and a whole lot more. Wow! Let's not forget wow. Wow. <sighs> to be with all of this, to be with all of this, whatever is arising, whatever is arising, whatever is arising. So today being the afternoon of day four, the fourth full day of our practice, so much is arising, so much has settled. Here you are, you have given yourself to this practice, you have put your daily obligations aside, your work, family, routines at home, you have come here a retreat at a retreat center, in noble silence, not speaking, given up words for the most part, except for the few necessary ones during the practice discussions and the necessary ones during the yogi jobs. There's no conversations. How's it going? None of that. Just This is wet, you know, if you're handing it to someone else to dry it. You know, just necessary words. So noble silence. 
you've been practicing as much as possible with the continuity of mindfulness. Internally, externally, sitting, walking, all moments, in between times, eating, in your room, outside your room. It's not like when you go to your room and you close the door. Okay, done. (laughs) Now I can stop being mindful. Like, okay, all right, I can be totally unmindful. No, it's continuity. It's just the joy of the continuity of this practice. I think that was me, by the way, on my first retreat. I didn't have a con- concept of continuity. I would go to my room, close it, or like, okay. <laughs> As if practice was outside the room, it was in the hall, and the walking, not continuous. So. And such transformations can happen, such, wow, such transformations can happen in the simplicity of this routine. And I can tell you, I can guarantee that your minds are a lot more quiet than when you entered and also more quiet than you realize you are. You might still have a lot of thoughts visiting and and monkey mind, and yet, and yet, you're much more quiet than you realize. And it's such, really such a beautiful thing that we can come on a retreat like this. What a blessing, what a blessing to be able to bow put aside our obligations to come and cultivate a different mind, to cultivate a different mind. I might have mentioned to some of you and during the practice discussions, Albert Einstein, one of my childhood heroes, said that we can't solve our problems with the same mind that created them. So we are here to support, to cultivate a different mind, a different mind that we may not even know what it is and how what it is capable of doing and, and offering and seeing the world differently. But we trust, we trust. We try to put aside our habitual normal mind, our problem-solving mind, our ambitious mind, our this mind, that mind, and, and we cultivate a different mind. We take a respite. And in our daily lives, especially, um, we're so much busier now, it seems, somehow. We're so much busier. I was talking with a friend, um, and we were reminiscing that somehow, 10, 20 years ago, we were we didn't seem as busy, so many demands, I think, with email and social media and this and that. Just there's so much more, there's demands of the world. Do you feel that way? I wonder. Do you feel that way too? Just constant demands. My to-do list seems to be growing every day. And Thomas Merton, who is a Trappist monk, celebrated monk, he puts it this way. He says, there is a pervasive form of contemporary violence 
to which the idealist most easily succumbs. Activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. Our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitlessness. I'm sorry, it destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. So the sense of inner frenzy, inner frenzy, which many of us in modern life are familiar with, this inner frenzy, this inner busyness, which carries us also when we come on retreat, this busyness. And we put it down. We put, as much as we can, we put all of it down when we come on retreat. And of course it carries us, the thoughts, and it can carry us. It can, it, can, it can follow us, it can follow us. And yet, by this time of the retreat, hopefully, for the most part, the, the drive of it, the energy of it has dissipated a little bit. Ah, and we can take a breath, we can reconnect with the tranquility, with the peace within, and taste the joy of stillness, at least a little bit here and there. There's a beautiful poem by Mary Oliver. The name of the poem is Today. And it beautifully captures today. Here she goes. Today, I'm flying low, and I'm not saying a word. I'm letting all the voodoos of ambition sleep. The world goes on as it must, the bees in the garden rumbling a little, the fish leaping, the gnats getting eaten, and so forth. But I'm taking the day off quiet as a feather. I hardly move, though, really, I'm traveling a terrific distance. Stillness, one of the doors into the temple. That's you. That's us. I hardly move, though, really, I'm traveling a terrific distance. Stillness, 
one of the doors into the temple. So much you have traveled just today or the past few days, how far you have traveled and you have hardly moved. A terrific distance. Stillness. Stillness is one of the doors into the temple. So the joy of stillness, that's what I would like to talk about more today. The joy of stillness. The joy of stillness. So stillness. The joy of the collected mind joy of a non-distracted mind, even if it's available just for minutes, seconds, fleeting, but the joy of this alignment and an aligned mind and heart, the joy of a gathered mind, the joy of a unified mind, and when I say mind, I mean Chitta in Pali, the word chitta translates to mind heart. In the West, I think we have a proclivity for the word mind, but really in the East is mind heart, mind heart. They're one thing, it's, it's a dash translation. So maybe I'll say use both. So a collected mind heart, a unified mind heart, a composed mind heart, a stabilized, a calm, steady, malleable, still, protected from distractions, mind heart, gathered, mind heart. So all of these words that I just shared, Let them wash over you, unified, composed, composure, gathered, collected, non-distracted, stabilized, calm, steady, still. These are states of mind and heart that arise when we practice, when we sit. They arise naturally. They're both the fruit of this practice and also they nourish the deepening of our practice. Both the fruit and the nourishment and the root. The fruit and the root. And these translations are translations of the word in Pali, samadhi. Samadhi, often translated as a word which is not my favorite translation as concentration, the concentrated mind. And the reason why it's not my favorite translation of this word is because we have, we tend to have this association with the word concentration in the West that 
we have to concentrate. We have to work hard. Like you have to work, you have to concentrate on your math test or your math homework. There's just sense of furrowing of the brow and hard work. Concentrate, concentrate. Whereas really, samadhi, stillness, bringing together, calming, settling. You need to have a relaxed, joyful attitude. Yes, there is some some engagement, but really a joyful, relaxed attitude. So the word samadhi is derived from the Pali prefixed sum, which means together, and the root da, which means to put or place, and it's related to the Pali verb samadhati, which means to put together, to bring together, to concentrate, right? Concentrate as in the orange juice concentrate, like it's 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 brought together, it's the essence. So that way of relating to concentration works, but really to put together, to bring together. You want to bring together. The mind is distracted, it's going every which way. You bring it together. Come back, dear. Come back to your mind. Come back to your heart. Come back, come back. So a state of being well composed, a state of being well composed, state of being well composed. Ajahn Suchito talks about samadhi in this way. I think of enjoyment as receiving joy and samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. Notice he's not saying, I think of samadhi as hard work and really get your act together, why aren't you concentrate? Like, oh, samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. Now that's interesting, right? From a hardcore monk, refined enjoyment. And here on this retreat, we've been talking about enjoyment, right? delight, pleasure, enjoyment, samadhi, collecting the mind as the art of refined enjoyment. Wrap your head around that for a moment, especially those of you who have practiced with samadhi before, or many of you have practiced in different ways, other teachers you've heard. Ah, refined enjoyment refined enjoyment. Pretty cool. John Suchito continues, It is the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. It's the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. 
And there is a lot of joy in the present moment. As we turn to it, if we turn to it, as we've been inviting you on this retreat, there is lots of joy in the present moment. It's a feast, partake. Don't make pain and sorrow and suffering the only measure of your attention. Yes, they are there, of course they're there. Of course all of us have it. Of course, part of being human. And yet, there is so much enjoyment, so much goodness right here, right here, right now. Partake. He continues further. Joyfulness means there is no fear, no tension, no ought to. No ought to. There isn't anything we have to do. We have to do about it. So there is stillness. It's just this. It's just this. A sense of simplicity is just this. Samadhi as the careful collecting of oneself in the joy of the present moment. So thinking of samadhi as stillness is a simple definition, the careful collecting of oneself in the joy of the present moment. And there is so much wisdom to that because in the present moment there is so much joy. Can we tune into the joy, into the delight, into the pleasure, into the pleasantness of whatever is here? And it might be different objects. In fact, in the Visuddhimagga, in the Path of Purification, which is a manual, it's a thousand-page training manual in the Theravada tradition, there are 40 different objects for some samatha practice, for cultivating samadhi. Samadhi is the state, by the way, and samatha is the practice, is what we do. So we do samatha practice to cultivate the state of samadhi. There are 40 different objects, 40 different objects for collecting the mind, for settling the mind. The breath is one of the 40. A wonderful one. Many of you have practiced with it. There are many others. The body is another one. The four elements and paying attention to the sensations of the body is another is another object to help settle the mind, to settle the mind and heart, to collect the mind, to collect the mind and heart. On this retreat, we've mentioned four others, but we didn't reveal to you that those two were concentration objects. In fact, Tanya talked about them yesterday afternoon. The heavenly abodes, the Brahma Viharas, surprise! When you practice those consistently, the mind, heart settles. We often relate to say metta, so the four, I'll repeat them again. The four being metta, loving kindness, 
compassion, karuna, sympathetic joy, empathetic joy, vicarious joy, translated in so many ways, mudita, and upeka, equanimity practice, which you were led in last night by Tanya. These four practices too, these four practices are samatha practices, are practices to collect the mind, to collect the mind and heart. We often relate to them in the West as as purification practices, as soothing practices, as calming practices. Yes, they are that too. They're very powerful. They're Jedi training. They cultivate our minds, our hearts in kindness towards ourselves, towards others. They transform our our habitual patterns. And guess what? They also calm and settle the mind into deep absorptions, states of, you might have heard, jhana, which are deep states of absorption that one can cultivate, not just with the breath, not just with the body, but with the Brahma-viharas, with these four practices. Absolutely. And they're beautifully delicious, the practice of calming, collecting the mind, samadhi, through these practices. So, so stillness, self-stillness, collectedness, collecting the mind, collecting the mind. So one thing to say is on this retreat, we have been practicing Vipassana. So I want to make a slight distinction and also the relationship between these two practices. So there are Vipassana practice. Vipassana is one basket of practices and Samatha leading to states of Samadhi or Jhanas is another basket of practices and they're related but a little different and the mind can settle through both of them, but they have differences. So, let me share the differences. And if you've heard this before, bear with me, listen to it with beginner's mind, and if it's new for you, listen up. So, so one way, from a bird's eye view, one way to relate to these differences, there's so many different ways to see them, but one way to see the difference is is that with samatha practice, concentration practice, there is only one object. And we keep coming back to that object, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, not analyzing it, not exploring it, not seeing the changing nature of it, etc., Okay, it's just coming back. 
Okay, I'll come back to it in a moment. Let's talk about Vipassana. Vipassana, the practice of Vipassana is we notice, we see an object and we see the, we contemplate Traditionally, we can't. We um, practice of vipassana is contemplating the three characteristics of existence, and the three characteristics of phenomena are impermanence, anicca, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and impersonality, anatta. Okay. All right, that's the first level. Okay, now I'm going to get a little deeper and explore it some more. So now you probably have a lot of questions. Why say that again? What what is that? Okay, let's talk about that in a moment. So, so let's come back to samatha, to constant, to stillness practice. And again, both of these practices will stabilize your mind, but they have different destinations. So with samatha practice, there is just one object and you keep coming back to it you let go you let go you let go okay and on this retreat for example at the very beginning we were doing a little more perhaps tuning into stillness tuning more to samatha so that the mind would settle a little more and then after doing the breath the first day then we opened up to the body then we opened up to emotions and and then to thoughts, seeing them coming and going this morning, right? Okay. So we started to lean the first day into some samatha instructions, kind of, a little bit, to settle the mind, to help to settle the mind, right? And then we opened it up to vipassana. Oh yeah, phenomena. Thoughts are arising and passing. Notice Notice emotions in the body. Oh, yeah, what do they feel like? They come and go. They're not constant. Emotions, energy in motion, right? Seeing the changing nature of phenomena. Okay. So with Vipassana, you're paying attention to the changing nature of phenomena. It keeps changing. It keeps changing. And yes, it was satisfactory one moment, and it's not satisfactory, and... Oh, yes, this is difficult, this is dukkha, and I can be with it, right? Or actually, wow, this is not personal. Look at all these thoughts arising, like, wow, I don't have control over this. It's impersonal, right? So seeing those aspects of experience, that's vipassana. And that's what we're doing on this retreat. It's a vipassana retreat, right? If this were a samatha, a samadhi, a concentration retreat, we would choose one object and we would keep coming back to it over and over and over and over to it. If it were a samatha practice, a concentration, I'm using that word because it's common, a samatha retreat, a samadhi retreat, for example, we would choose the breath. And then thoughts would arise. We wouldn't label them or name them or see them arise and pass away. No, that's Vipassana. In Samatha practice, we would just let go and come back. We would just release and come back to our object. It's like monogamy. Absolute monogamy. Right? You're monogamous to one object. 
and one object alone in samatha practice. Emotions are arising. Thank you, not now. Coming back to the breath. Okay. Thoughts are arising. Thank you, not now. Don't want to know what you are. Apply whatever you are. Thank you, not now. Come back to the breath. The breath, the breath, the breath, the breath, the breath. Or if it were a uh, metta concentration practice, you just would come to the feeling of metta with one of the practices. Say if it was metta for yourself, metta, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be well. You know the phrases, whatever the phrases were that you were choosing over and over and over and over again. Right, not getting caught in stories. You know, the stories might come. There might be some purification you would go through, but you would just stay. Stay with the metta. Stay with the metta. Stay with the metta. Or stay with compassion. If it was compassion practice, oh, sweetheart, this is hard. May you be free from suffering. May you have ease. Over, over, over. That that sense of kindness, compassion is the object. That is the object that you just stay with the whole time. And it takes you all the way to very, very settled states of mind. Now, so now to give credit to the person who, from whom I first heard this term of absolute monogamy, this was Stephen Armstrong years ago, who related the practice of samatha as absolute monogamy to the object and vipassana as, ready for this, serial monogamy. Right? You're monogamous to the breath, and then it's the body, and then it's the emotion. Right? You're, monog- you're sticking with it. You're really being with this emotion. How's it feeling in the body? Like, yeah, raft. Yeah, right? And then it goes away. Then you're really with the breath, and then thoughts arise. Oh, they're arising and passing. You're really with the thought for a while. You're monogamous to it. You're not distracted. Just really, right? It's serial. So you're really dedicated to these objects. Serially. Make sense? The difference between those two practices? Yeah? Okay. Now, now the practice of Vipassana, which is what we've been doing on this retreat, does need some stability of the mind, as you figured out yourself by now, right? If the mind is all over the place, like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, like, whoa, right? Need, you need some stability. You need some level of Samadhi, to do Vipassana. Of course you do. The mind needs to have some level of stability. And by doing, actually, the serial monogamy practice, because your mind is so dedicated, say, to the body sensations, to the emotions, to the breath, to the emotions, to the breath, to the sensations, right? It's de- there's dedication. The mind will settle through doing that. So you need some settling to do that practice. And the mind will settle. will develop more settledness through the practice of Vipassana. Okay? And now, the practice of Samatha, this absolute monogamy, staying with the object, over and over and over again, okay? That too, of course, arises. That gives rise to the mind settling and really um, falling in love with the object. That feeling can arise. 
practice, really falling in love with the object, falling in love with the practice, which again can arise in, in Vipassana too. I've heard many of you speak of these states of joy and delight that arise. So, so some things, so, so without going into a lot more detail now, I'm, I'm going to let it be a little bit, come on a concentration retreat on a samad, samadhi retreat on a samatha retreat, I'll tell you the rest of the story. But now, what I want to tell you is, <coughs> since this is a Vipassana pract, uh, retreat and we are cultivating some stillness of the mind, some factors that arise, so you can recognize them when they come up. And I'm now getting to the heart of the talk, so pay attention. So since the topic is joy, delight, uplift as a part of practice, and remember we've already talked about the cascade, yes, I spoke about it with the liberative dependent arising, these lovely states that just keep giving rise the next one to the next one to the next one to the next one. Diana talked about them as well, the happiness pentad that show up in different suttas, the cascade, yeah? And the cascade, just to remind you, there was in the five states, which the five beautiful states, and the starting point could be suffering or faith, or could be... Um, uh, ethical behavior and non-remorse, or it could be freedom from the hindrances, or lots of entry points, right? Remember? And then the five were Pamaja. I like to translate that as delight, the sense of delight that arises. And when that matures, it cascades and leads to, in Pali, piti, piti, translated as joy or rapture. Actually, let me pause for a moment because um, Palm, well, I'll, maybe I'll mention, I'll come back. I'll mention the five and I come back and, and, and talk about them a little more. So, piti as rapture or joy, pasadi as tranquility, sukkha as bliss, translated as happiness or bliss, and then samadhi, which we've been talking about. Often translated as concentration, but collectedness is a better word for it. So these five, many different entry points from different wholesome behaviors with faith and trust, etc. These five, and then a few different steps of, for example, knowledge and vision of things as they are, seeing things as they are, a few more steps, and liberation. Which actually, as I'm describing it this way, I'm remembering in New Yorker cartoon years and years ago, there is a scientist, and there are many, many formulas on the board, and 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 um, they're showing a fellow scientist like blah 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 this this this, and then the next step is and magic happens, and then la la. <laughs> there is also it feels like that when I'm explaining it. These five and a few steps happen, and liberation. So. <laughs> magic happens, but believe me, there are very practical steps in the cascade. So, uh, yeah, so so these steps, these, these beautiful qualities, we've been inviting you to tune into them in your experience so that 
they become more available naturally when the cascade for, for the cascade to happen naturally. Does that make sense? But you don't want to you cannot make them happen as the part of the cascade. That's an important distinction, right? Let me say that again. We've been inviting you to open your heart to delight, to joy, to goodness, internally, externally, to take delight, so that you become more available for the unfolding of the natural cascade, right? Does that make sense? So they're not so foreign because these states, we know them. We're all human beings. We all experience joy and gladness and gratitude and wow, lovely and wow, yes. We all experience these. So by bringing them more into into our habitual, into tuning into them more, instead of just tuning into just suffering, it's just hard. Okay, actually, wow, there is goodness in being with suffering even, right? We can tune into all these aspects. And then these, the natural cascade becomes more available. Now, there is pamoja, which is delight, which, which many of you have already reported in your practice discussions that you have noticed as a part of your practice. There's a sense of delight that has arisen. <clears throat> also, as a part of the mind settling and stabilizing, in in samadhi, in stability, there's also some some beautiful qualities. What, what's called the five jhanic factors, and there's some overlap here between the happiness pentad, the five in this pentad I mentioned, and the five jhanic factors. The Buddha loved lists. Already, so many lists. But this is what to keep in mind. So when with with the five jhanic factors, the first two being vitaka and vichara, which is basically the mind connecting and staying with an object, connecting and staying with an object, connecting and staying. It's very gentle, connecting and staying, connecting and staying. And that can happen. You've been doing that, connecting and staying with the breath, connecting and staying with the body, connecting, and, and the mind can keep drop, keep dropping also. You, okay, you're with the breath, in-breath, connecting, staying, and then, oh, mm, gosh, that that project, I haven't finished that project. Okay, the mind has now disconnected from the breath. Okay, let's reconnect. In-breath, middle of the, in, beginning of in-breath, middle of in-breath, end of in-breath, the pause between the in-breath and the out-breath. That project, gosh, I still have... Oh, the mind has now dropped again. Okay, reconnect. Stay until my until attention drops again. And that's normal. Normal. Anyone not experience that? Normal. Part of being human. Part of this training. Part of this training. Part of this Jedi training. And then that connecting... And sustaining, connecting and sustaining, connecting and sustaining. Again, 
it needs to have the weight of a feather. Needs to have the weight of a feather, but it needs to also be persistent, persist, gentle but persistent. There's this beautiful word in Pali I love from the Satipatthana Sutta: atapi, atapi, gentle persistence. It's gentle. It's not hard. Like okay, I'm connecting with the breath, and I'm never no 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 no. Don't. It's that becomes tight. It becomes ooh over efforting. It's gentle, and it's persistent. Keeps going, gentle, persistent. It's earthworm practice, as Ajahn Chah said. Be an earthworm, persistent, gentle, gentle, persistent, 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 with a lot of humility, just connecting again and again and again and again. Be an earthworm, be an earthworm. No ambitions to save the world. Be an earthworm, connect, connect, sustain. And then this connecting and sustaining give rise to on on their own. So you can't make this happen. Don't try to make it happen. But if you've created the conditions for it, it will, through grace, arise on its own. What arises next, the third jhanic factor is PT, P-I-T-I, translated as rapture, translated as joy. There's this sense of lightness that can arise, this bubbliness, this this falling in love with the practice, with the object, as I mentioned before. There's this, this sense of love affair, ease, lightness. It can also be experienced in the body as an uplift, as a joy, sometimes as goosebumps. Sometimes even a little, like you might feel like ants are crawling, but nothing is crawling. It's like, oh yeah, there's some changes in the body, and it's kind of like uplift. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's just PT. You come and report it to us in the practice discussion, we'll just say, oh, that's PT. Yeah, it'll come, it'll go, it's okay. Don't get attached. And enjoy it while it lasts. And then PT, this rapture, and, and it can show up in many, many ways, by the way. This is a truncated talk about these jhanic factors. And then... On its own, it matures and gives rise, piti gives rise to sukha, gives rise to this sweetness, to this blissful feeling in the body. There's a sense of bliss. And you might have experienced it on this retreat, and maybe it'll visit you later, or maybe not, maybe another time, but there's a sense of bliss. Like, wow, this is sweet. It's just Deep happiness, upwelling, upwelling can be a hard quality and also physical too. And then maturing, maturing, and you can't make it happen in this cascade, but create the conditions for it, leading to ekagata, which is translated to one-pointedness, when the mind is really happy, so happy in the practice, mind and heart want to sit longer, like, this is so good, it's like, wow, I'm like a kid in a candy store, I don't want to leave, this is so great, there's just such a sense of heart connecting with the practice, mind connecting with the object, heart connecting with the practice, this continuity, 
which is lovely, beautiful. You can't make them happen. So don't go like, oh, I want that. That sounds like a spiritual goodie. I want that. I want that badge. Oh, I could... It doesn't work that way. In fact, that's how practice can become potentially a source for suffering. So I have to bring this in. Beautifully demonstrated in this... Um, poem by William Blake and he lived from 1757 to 1827. It's a four-line poem and um, it's it's not gender neutral, this poem. It, he uses he, but I wish it was gender neutral. It isn't, but I'll read it anyway. He who binds him, who he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. I'll read it again. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. So kiss the joys as they fly. It's all impermanent. Kiss them as they fly. Don't just stare at them. Kiss them as they fly. Kiss the joy as it flies. Don't bind yourself. Don't just like, ah, joy, no, I don't know. Kiss the joy as it flies. So the joy of, of a still mind, the joy of a calm mind, the joy of it. There's so much joy to bring ourselves onto a retreat from the busyness of our lives, from all our commitments and to-do lists and this and that and the other. Bringing ourselves here. The joy, the simplicity, the simplicity, the joy, the delight of it. And to kiss the joy as it flies. Not expecting to bind ourselves to it, Nourishing it, nurturing it, but not clinging to it. And delighting when it is present, when you have created the conditions, with gentle persistence, gentle persistence, gentle persistence. Being earthworms, gentle persistence. Ah. Maybe I'll share one more poem. Why not? It's a poem for the afternoon. Here is one by Mary Oliver called Mindful. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy. I love this part. To instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, 
the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. To instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, but the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. So much of it here available. So much of it available. Let's just sit together for a moment and let the words settle. Oh, good scholar, I tell myself, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. Ding! joyful afternoon, evening of practice.